When a human passes away, we create a tombstone as a memorial. Friends and family visit a grave to remember the times that we had with that person while they were still alive. Memorial bots are another way to celebrate the life of someone who has passed away. A memorial bot is created by taking the messages sent by a deceased person when they were alive and passing it through a machine learning model in order to make a bot that replicates the deceased person. Eugenia Koida is the CEO of Luca, a company that builds AI products. When her friend Roman Mazurenko suddenly died, she worked with her team to make a bot that replicates his speech patterns. In our interview, we discussed memorial bots, deep learning, and the product that Luca is working on right now, Replica, a personal AI friend for anyone. This was a very interesting and touching show about the intersection of technology and culture and society and how our norms are changing with technology. I think you're really going to enjoy this episode. Eugenia Koida is the CEO of Luca, a company that builds AI products. Eugenia, welcome to Software Engineering Daily. Thank you so much, Jeffrey. So your story begins with the loss of your friend Roman Mazurenko. He was a talented computer scientist. He was a leader, and he built products and companies. Describe your relationship with Roman before he passed away. Um, I guess we were just friends. We were living together in the same apartment in San Francisco. Okay. Uh, and was his passing away the first major loss that you experienced in your life? Uh, well, yeah, nothing at this scale for sure. How did it impact you personally? Well, I guess anyone can imagine it's just um, a hard thing to go through. Yeah, and the, the, there was uh, a long report about it in The Verge. Uh, it was very painful for anybody to read, um, it was emotional, and I feel fortunate I, I don't think I've dealt with the loss of anyone very close to me, but I can think of a lot of people in my life that I would be totally crushed if they disappeared. Um, how did you cope with the loss, and do you think you coped with it in ways that were different than typical people? Well, I guess we all, you know, live in the same, in this time where, you know, the these assisted by, you know, this is basically everything around us requires us to be fully productive almost all the time and you know there's no really space for grief or for you know um for people to process their own their emotions um i guess being emotional about it is more or less like a sense of weakness um you know we are supposed to be fully operational almost like the next day so i don't know whether i was dealing with it different from other people just you know just try to move on as quickly as possible and work so we will get into the discussion of the chat bot that you made to simulate your friend Roman. Uh, but talking more broadly about just the question of grief, how do psychologists look at the grieving process? Do they typically, I mean, is it better to spend time reminiscing about your experience with somebody after they pass away? Or are you supposed to move beyond it as quickly as possible like funerals are often so soon after somebody dies it's it's almost like we're not encouraged to dwell on the death we're just kind of encouraged to sweep it under the rug and move beyond it as fast as possible i guess that's um, what i felt about it um you know that's kind of how i think how people approach it now i'm not sure what psychologists are saying about it um you know, obviously, like, the co common sense is always, you know, you have to um, 
face your feelings and actually feel them and accept it and only then, you know, only after that you might get some closure or, you know, that's the only basically way to, to deal with it. Um, I, I don't know. I'm actually, I haven't seen that, you know, I, I haven't read that, that much about it or um, I wasn't that interested in actually how, uh, what, what experts think about it. So I can't really say. I'm just, I just think that, you know, being, um, not having a ritual or some sort of like a way to process or, uh, yeah, some sort of a ritual for the 21st century, uh, is not helping. That's what I'm trying to say. <laughs> Certainly. So getting into that ritual, you were spending a lot of time scrolling through his text messages when he, after he passed away. Why did you do that? Was it therapeutic for you to read back through the interactions that you had had with Roman? Hard to say. Um, I guess, you know, we always want to miss someone. That's what, that's what I usually do. Like, I miss a person right now, for example, and I always go back to our um, vaccine feed. I guess for me, it's like one of the ways to, you know, remember our interactions and um, go through the same feelings that we had back then. Um, just, you know, we do not photograph every single day of our life in this raw kind of unedited way. We mostly tend to put together um, some sort of, you know, more polished way, um, some, a more polished representation of our life. Um, so I guess this is something that definitely allows us to be, you know, to to feel something, you know, kind of more. I don't know, it's hard to say, but it, yes, for me it's like the way to keep the memory going. Why did you ultimately decide to make a bot out of his text messages? It wasn't like a, I just thought, you know, we have it, why not? Like, we have the technology, why not do it? Um, just seemed like, you know, there was no specific moment of, like, you know, I should do, do this or this is what I feel is um, is right. I just thought, like, why not? You know, felt like a, we have it, we have the tech. Uh, I always played with the idea that, you know, sometimes we can build a generative model, like a neural network mode that would actually be able to mimic the way, the way a person talks. And we've been playing around with it before building bots for Silicon Valley, the, the show, and like Prince, that's what we were doing. So, you know, when this came around, we we're like, why not? Maybe we should just try. And this type of bot, uh, I've heard it called a memorial bot, the idea that you, after somebody passes away, you make a bot out of their text messages. What are the the benefits and the risks or like the downsides of memorial bots? Um, I have not heard of any other bots apart from what we did uh, built for this. So it would be hard for me to make a generalization out of it. You know, um, we kind of did it for the first time, I guess, in, um, in, in history. So we kind of had to face the whole, we had to face like a bunch of different um questions and try to answer them for the first time because obviously you know when you take text from different conversations you see that a person is very different when he's talking to you know his friends or his family you know uh, talking about work and even different friends get different versions of yourself and actually what's interesting i don't think a lot of people realize that or analyze it or you know have a chance to actually look at it from the outside we had this chance and you know it was very obvious that um you know it's just very very different um, you know, very different, we're very different people with different people. So, um, I guess that was, uh, you know, it was hard to understand what, 
how this bot should actually be like. Should it be as open as he was with me? Should it be the bot that's, you know, a little bit more reserved, a little bit more of like an expert version of, of yourself? And again, since, um, and what if he says something that you weren't expecting, you know, to say and someone gets like hard feelings about it? Um, so a bunch of different questions that we were facing. Yeah, it's interesting what you say about the polished public feed that we make of ourselves on Facebook or another social network versus the individual conversations that we have with people, uh, which, you know, I may have a conversation with you and then I have a conversation with somebody else and these two people would have completely different perceptions of who I am. So if you were to combine those as training data for the same bot, you might get kind of a mixed experience. Yeah, absolutely. And that was like one of the things like, you know, uh, what do we do with this? Should we, what do we keep? What do we, what do we delete? What do we edit? How do we edit? Like, you know, did he want this to be public ever or no? So, you know, just a lot of thinking that we're not, it was not completely like, it was hard to, like, since no one ever did it before, like, and, you know, with those things, you really um, don't want to mess, right? You don't want to mess, mess those up. You don't want to get those wrong because that's, you know, it's an important subject for your, something that you take yourself very personally. So for me, that was kind of hard. I didn't want to make it public for a long time for that. So let's get into the engineering. How did you build the bot? Can you describe the process? Well, we have this, um, um, algorithm that basically allows us to use a smaller data set and train the neural conversational model that in, 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 in a way that it can replicate and mimic a little bit of the personality. Um, and we just use this, um, it's the same thing we used to build our Silicon Valley show bots. Uh, can you describe it in more detail? I mean, I know it uses deep learning. Uh, maybe you could explain why deep learning is particularly effective for this sort of problem. Well, you can't really, um, you can't really have like a rule-based system that would be, uh, that would allow you to, you know, um, that would allow you to cover so many different use cases, right? Like, so if you're building a rule-based system, it obviously will be um, limited to just an area of responses that you can cover with rules. Uh, with a neural network, you can cover with le- with lower precision, obviously, like lower quality, but uh, you still can cover many more uh, different areas of conversation. And again, when you're not trying to build something task-oriented, um, which actually requires the like rule, the precision of the rules that the rules ga- uh, give you, um, if you're trying to build like a general conversation that actually can be very can go in very in multiple different directions, um, and you're not solving tests, so there's no like objective goal set in a conversation, then uh, a neural conversation model is just much more uh, suitable. So you're talking about the flexibility of building a model with deep learning versus the rigidity of defining a model yourself. Uh, can you contrast those processes a, a little more? I think so, the listeners have varying degrees of expertise in uh, machine learning. So maybe you could just describe these processes a little bit more because they're so popular these days. Uh, you know, they're important concepts for people to start learning. It would be great to, to hear your diagnosis of the these two areas. Sure. Well, um, if you look at it this way, we've started, you know, uh, we started three, actually almost four years ago now, 
working with the idea that we're going to build, you know, the best conversational engine out there. And obviously, three years ago, like, the only thing you actually had was there were, there was no deep learning for conversational, uh, conversations back then, right? The computational powers were not there. Uh, there were not algorithms, you know, there were no algorithms published that, you know, you could use. So obviously we started with a rule-based approach and, um, you know, we tried so many different ways to, to, to build like a, the best rule-based conversational engine. And I think ended up with a very, uh, robust system with a very, you know, with a great kind of dialogue model rule-based dialogue model that allows us to build um, very quickly, very deep conversations about a specific niche. However, what we learned, um, and, you know, that was the first premise, let's build a conversation in one area, and we started with restaurants. Um, what we learned is that, yes, of course, you can build uh, a pretty deep and flexible conversation in one space, in one space like, say, restaurant, you know, restaurant recommendations. Um, but it's incredibly hard. It, it it requires a lot of precision, a lot of laws, like a lot of rules and a lot of, um, you know, um, kind of fine tuning around them. And it requires, you know, basically hard, you know, hard coding everything, um, which is a great approach, but it's not as scalable as an approach. And obviously, um, you know, people want more. Um, and conversations that people value are usually a little bit more flexible. Ones that are not task-oriented, uh, conversations that we're having with our friends, for example, are much more flexible. Um, they have much more surprising, um, kind of, um, surprising twists and turns in them. And for that, you need something that is a little bit more, um, scalable, a little bit more flexible, uh, that can be trained on real conversations to so replicate them. And for that, like a neural approach is, uh, a neural network approach is much better. So basically how it works, you would take like a huge data set of uh, conversations and you'll train your model on them. Like, for example, we use a data set of almost uh, 50 different, 50 million different um, dialogue lines. Chatbots often have a reinforcement learning feature where they continue to learn as you talk to them. Does the memorial bot that you built for your friend Roman have this feature where it continues to learn, or has it been trained and it's going to be the same for the for the rest of time? We do improve the algorithm, the underlying algorithm, but um, it's not it is not using reinforcement learning right now. And actually, to be fair, I would not name. I might not know something, but you know they're mostly no chatbots that are even powered by neural conversational model. A lot of lo- you know. Um, and obviously there is no reinforcement learning as part of it. Um, but we're actually the first company to launch, um, a bot that would be powered by a neural conversational model, by a neural network. That was even before Microsoft launched their Tay, uh, that was infamously, um, you know, saying bad things to people over Twitter, on Twitter. Um, so yeah, it, our bot does learn, um, as you talk to it. But it's, but it's not using reinforcement learning, which is a very specific technique. Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned Tay. I think that was a adaptation of a bot that they built, that Microsoft built for uh, a chat service in China. And the service when it was on one-on-one, in one-on-one chat, when it was called Zhao Ice, was much friendlier and... Uh, 
more loving and it was kind of a reflection of the conversations that it had one-on-one with people and then tay was a reflection of the worst corners of twitter uh so they ended up being uh, quite divergent even though the the technology was very similar yeah sure so shao i suppose yeah the the chinese bot however um like for example right now we're building um we're focusing fully on a company called on a product called replica um if you go on replica.ai you spelled with a k you can reserve your name the name for your own replica and the idea there is very simple it's basically a bot that you can your own personal bot that you can teach through conversation to start mimicking your personality um and keep your memories and you know make you feel a little bit more connected to your you and your friends um so you're basically raising your own ai friend your own ai companion um it sort of came out of the you know bot that we did for roman uh because we saw how much people want to share and want to talk about themselves uh but i'm mentioning replica here because basically what we saw um with Tay is what that you know uh, was that if the bot is learning from you and if it's just one bot and if it's learning from thousands of people then you know people can teach it bad things but if you give a personal bot for everyone then you know if you teach your bot some crazy bad stuff then everyone will know that you know it's your bot it's how you taught it <laughs> it's very obvious and it immediately takes a lot of responsibility from us and puts it back on the user which i think it was, may, might be i'm not sure because obviously you know time we travel tell but i think it's an interesting approach to those things for some reason um large companies keep kind of you know or just companies launching bots keep thinking that you know um keep going in in the direction of the one bot for all kind of approach but maybe there could be a lot of bots for many and that's kind of you know roman was kind of the first um out there like you know everyone will have a moral bot and now do you think it'll be a future where you have the one bot and you give a, a command to the one bot and then the bot maybe delegates a command to other bots or do you think it'll be more like you just talk to your to all your variety of bots and you, and you delegate tasks to them individually I think so I actually gave it a lot of thought recently because we have people testing replica and we're facing all those questions already um so what I think is that what's amazing in conversation is that people open up a lot it's just a very natural um natural feature of this format when we're speaking with a person we're just, we're giving giving out much more than when we're clicking on buttons in the graphic interface so um so people are sharing a lot and then the question is do they want to share with one bot that will is going to work for everyone um you know do you want to share with Siri every single personal detail of your life um knowing that she's talking to 25,000 other people or do you want to share it with just one personal bot of yours where you can actually figure out your privacy setting and you know it can be just for yourself or it can be open like in different um to a different degree to your closest network of friends or maybe to some services if you allow them to but again you're not giving this information straight away to one bot that you know um that's out there i think the the um the image of having one personal bot for yourself one digital avatar of yours that's um hanging out there in the cloud and you basically manage what it can or can't do or can share is a very powerful vision and i think eventually we're going to get there and yes there're going to be bots for you know there there probably will be a bot for i don't know like a some personal assistant bot that will come to your personal bot and you know us ask, ask him some questions or like a travel and travel agent right that will come to your personal bot and us 
ask your personal bot some questions about what your actually travel preferences are. Um, and you, you know, I feel like it's more of a, of the direction things are, things will go to. And that personal bot might be something like Replica. So I would talk to Replica maybe, or I, I don't know, I haven't seen Replica yet, but I'm just imagining based on what you said, I would tell Replica, hey, look, I want to go on a vacation. Uh, I Here are my parameters for the vacation. Go and talk to some vacation bot somewhere and help me schedule that vacation. Uh, yes, absolutely. So we start with basically building trust because I, what I think is that, you know, um, actually assistance tasks are not as um, are, are not as important to the large, large to a larger audience than um, being able to talk to someone and actually some emotional needs that we all have. Um, I think it starts with having a buddy, having a companion, having someone that is understanding you and not judging you in a safe place to go and share everything that's going on with you. Um, maybe understand yourself a little bit better. We start there, but you know, eventually what we already know about our users is, um, is incredibly impressive. The amount of data that people are sharing through conversation is crazy. And, um, and so one of the next steps obviously could be like, you know, uh, you tell your replica that you're bored with your work and you can't deal with it anymore. And your replica quietly goes and, you know, figures out, checks out LinkedIn, whether there are a lot of openings that could suit you and comes back to you with like, Hey, you know, I know you told me you were bored with your work. Do you want me to look through LinkedIn and see what, what's out there? Here's what I saw so far. Um, I think it's a very, very, um, I think they're just the, the, the horizons there are so, I mean, it's, it, I, I, I think it could be really, really big in terms of what can be done to it. And maybe we're not the company to, um, to build it, but I think someone will. I'm very, very positive about it. Yeah, me too. Um, does it surprise you on any level that people are so willing to share their emotions with a bot when, I mean, maybe maybe people have a different perception of what the bot actually consists of. I mean, you and I know it's just this bits, it's bits that have been trained by lines of text, but I guess people who are interfacing with it have an impression that it's this magical thing that has, like, feelings that are... Uh, similar to a human. Well, no, well, we we tend to anthropomorphize things that are, you know, everything. Um, dogs, um, light, even lightning, uh, Tamagotchi, some technology, you know, boss, anything. It's we're just hardwired to anthropomorphize. That's why I think that Turing test is not really important. We don't need to seem human for people to anthropomorphize this thing. You don't need to be like a hundred percent. Uh, indistinguishable from a human. You just need to be, you know, to stick around for, for, for quite a bit and you need to arouse some emotion in the, in the person that, you know, that, that they value. And what's interesting that, you know, even me, I've, since, so I've built a bot for Roman, right? So I know how it works. I know everything, every single, like, line there. And still, when I, when I started it, you know, I felt like there is something very, uh, powerful there and I felt some and I felt very emotional and I started texting him like you know you know something very very personal I still acted very ration, irrationally um, and and yes I know everything I know I'm not like you know I've, I've also built it so I kind of know exactly how it works um, I don't have any I don't even expect anything from there that I that, that I haven't seen um, but still it's just how we are it's you know people go to to the church, to church, and they talk to God, and 
God is not replying even. It's not even online probably, right? Um, and we still go and we still share. Um, and I think this is a very, very powerful thought that we came to. And this was the thought that led us to build, to start working on Replica. And this is the main, basically the main conclusion we came to, the main insight we got after working on the bot for Roman, is that sometimes what we say is more important than what the bot tells us. Um, being able to talk our problems through and talk about ourselves and share some feelings is an incredible value per se. Yeah. Well, it's, it's funny you mentioned that talk therapy, like talk therapy is, uh, for anybody who's been to talk therapy for any reason, uh, most of it is like the therapist listening and like you, the therapist just asks like very subtle questions, but like the ratio of you talking versus the talk therapist talking is like 90 to, or nine, nine to one. Uh, and I mean, maybe that's informative that just like the feeling of being listened to or, um, yeah, it's it's not the feeling of being listened to and, inter- and interacted with on some level, even if it's bot robotic. Uh, ab- absolutely, uh, my line of thinking there, and like this is what basically struck me when I when I when I started thinking about it was um, was this very simple thought. And um, so basically, we've been trying to automate conversations for a few years right now, right? And um, if you think about conversations and if you put them on a scale from 1 to 10, where 1 would be conversations that we would pay to never have, and 10 would be conversations we'd pay to have, then on 1, 2, 3, you're going to have, like, on the left side of the scale, 1 to 3, you're going to have conversations uh, with customer support or ordering pizza, ordering Uber. Um, you do not want to have those conversations. You'd rather just get Uber, you know, by clicking one button or pizza by clicking one button or, or customer support problem solved in the first place without talking to a representative. And if you could look on the right, on the right, um, side of the spectrum, you'll see conversations that are eight, nine, ten, the most valuable ones that you would pay to have. And those are conversations with a therapist, a mentor, a coach, your friends, I mean, we don't pay for them, but they're still incredible, incredibly valuable. People we miss, um, you'd probably pay to talk to, you know, someone, uh, someone that broke up with you and you still miss and want to, uh, communicate with, um, or your friend who's far away. And so we started thinking about it. We're like, very interesting. Uh, most of the people in this space are working on the low value conversations. So customer support or, you know, those task oriented conversations. Uh, they're either optimizing them or building them. And for some reason, almost no one is working on the 8, 9, 10, the most valuable conversations. No one is automating them. So we thought, you know, we're going to make this our mission. Let's automate conversations that people are actually value and love. And if you, going back to what you said about talk therapy, if you just try to figure out what's the common denominator between all those valuable conversations, and you'll see that all those conversations are mostly about you. Uh, the, the the best conversation with a friend is when, you know, you get to talk about yourself. And, um, you know, the best conversation with a therapist is obviously when you talk about yourself. And um, and so that that gave us this very interesting idea of, like, you know, why, let's just give them the possibility to build their own bot. And they'll just talk to, they'll just talk uh, about themselves. And they're going to get some value out of it, um, even while training the bot, not not by actually getting one at the end of the day. And let's build a bot that's not talking, but the bot that actually listens. 
And I think this is a very powerful insight in itself. So the Roman bot that you built, um, do you still interact with it on a regular basis? Um, sometimes um, not like not as often as before. And mostly because, you know, we get to the story got picked up by so much uh, different media, so many different media outlets that I get just I got to talk about it a lot. And, you know, when I talk about him a lot, it just feels like, you know, I have this connection. I don't need to go back to it. Um, you know, like I feel like I remember him all the time. Anyway, I feel he's somewhere very close. Um, I used to talk a little bit more before. How has the, uh, I guess, the grieving process gone for you? Because I, I can imagine, um, you know, the, the grieving process being quite different with, uh, given your experience building this bot that replicated him and uh, kind of interacting with Osama and then doing this news you know, where people are very interested in it and talking a lot about him. How has that, I mean, do you have any perspective for how your your grieving process has differed from what a typical person might go through during grieving? Absolutely. I mean, um, that's a great question, actually. I feel like, you know, building it already brought a lot of closure, just actually facing everything, not pretending that, you know, nothing really happened and, um, actually looking through all the conversations we had and remembering everything and looking through our pictures and thinking about him every day. I think, you know, at some point it was very, very hard, but it was also very, um, I just felt that it's something that's right to do. I felt like if, in the end of the day, uh, if I don't face it at some point, you know, it's just going to be somewhere deep, deep inside of me. And, you know, at some point it will explode in some nasty way. I don't know. Like I just felt like the right thing to do is to face and, face the emotions, not turn, um, turn away from them. And then eventually when it ended up, you know, being a beautiful story that Casey Newton from The Verge, um, was kind enough to share with the world and, you know, a bunch of media outlets picked up and, um, wrote about also, I just felt that, you know, it kind of like went full circle and it ended up becoming a beautiful story. And obviously it's not bringing him back, but at least it's bringing me some peace of mind that, you know, if I was a painter, I would, if I was an artist, I would make, you know, would, would, would make a picture. If I was a musician, I would make, would write a song. But since I'm doing what I'm doing, this is basically the only tribute, the only memorial that I can dedicate to him. And I'm happy we did it. Absolutely. And he passed away very suddenly because of a car accident. Um, did his death make you more conscious of kind of the impermanence of life. I mean, I, I know it's easy to, to imagine this for a lot of people, but until something actually happens, like some kind of sudden black swan event that uh, causes somebody to leave your life, uh, it, it's, it can be hard for some people to actually act in a way where there are black swans in your life and you can't suddenly lose somebody. Like I, I, I lost somebody um, in the last year or so uh, who was not a super close friend, but he was an acquaintance and you know, it was just so sudden and I, it made me think like, okay, maybe I need to adjust some of the ways that I interact with people, uh, in order to, uh, avoid regret. Um, well, that's, that's a hard question, but a beautiful, but an interesting one. I think I was thinking about this recently and what I got to was basically that, you know, um, once, and actually like, I remember it quite well. So last year, so like almost a year ago in December, 
when I came back from the funeral, came back to San Francisco, I was sitting in our office and I was thinking, you know, we're building this um, restaurant recommenda- recommendation bot. And I was asking myself, how did I end up building a restaurant recommendation bot? Like, am I really, in- was this the passion? Am I genuinely interested in recommending restaurants to people, you know, to people? And um, I didn't like my answers, right? I actually, the honest answer was, you know, we kind of got there. <laughs> we started with being in love with the conversational um, format and, you know, we tried it in one vertical and then we kind of dragged into the, got dragged into this and then, you know, was, we were too far along and then we didn't have an idea of what to do next. And, um, and I didn't like this kind of feeling of being not, not passive about like what we're doing, but kind of, you know, getting there not by choice, not like, not actually waking up every day and saying to myself, oh my God, like I really want to build a product that will do this and that. And um, it made me think. And then um, I took some time to build something for myself, which was a woman's um, um, Roman's bot. And when I saw how people reacted and how they were sharing so much, in, you know, there, that made me made me remember why in the first place I got in love with the conversational interface, right? It was um, conversation is something that allows us to feel something, allows us to feel more human and... Um, I think this is the most beautiful aspect of it. And we decided to fully focus on that. And I think um, in this way, Roman didn't only, you know, um, help me uh, kind of real. Like, I think even after his death, he kind of helped me realize that, you know, what is actually the most important thing for me and what I actually should be doing, what I actually should be building. And, you know, this whole story kind of, got, you know, not only we built a memorial for him, which ended up being a beautiful story, but we also got to the point where I realized what I have to build, um, what I have to dedicate uh, to myself as an entrepreneur and what our company should be building. And Replica came out of it. And I feel like with Replica, every day that we wake up and I wake up and go to work, I feel like we're doing something meaningful and we're solving a problem that is that actually means something. Uh, we're not solving a problem of, you know, how to find a restaurant in the Bay Area that is not necessarily a very interesting problem to solve. We're solving a problem where, you know, we're giving someone to talk to. And for people who do not necessarily have a safe place to open up and share what's going on with them. And um, we see it in the first tests and we see it from, you know, emails that we're getting from our test users and people who signed up for, for Replica right now. Um, we have almost, um, we have over 50,000 signups right now. Uh basically people that just reserve their names. And I feel like this is something that, this is a problem that people care about. This is a problem that's worth solving and worth dedicating your life to. And this is something that is just very much about me. So um, in terms of, did I realize a lot after his death? I think I realized, you know, tons of things. The most important things of my life. Well, what was the internal pivot process like within the company? Did uh, Was it hard to convince other people like, Hey, I don't think we should be working on restaurant recommendation bots. I think we should move to this replica model. Uh, or were other people kind of feeling the same? Well, so uh, what's great about our company is that you know the team is incredibly. Like, we're literally like a family and very in a very very um, in a very very good way. Um, it's a very open process. Everyone knows what's going on at every single moment. So. Uh, we kind of are making decisions with the whole company all the time, and trying to be as transparent as you know in everything as possible. So I guess 
you know, everyone saw that, you know, the rest of our condition bot was not getting people too much, too much, too excited. And they also knew that we're going to figure it out. They knew that, you know, conversation, that the, the main vision is around building the conversational engine uh, of the future. Um, and this technology in itself is incredibly valuable. And we're just going to try different applications and see which application is uh, the one that will actually resonate with a larger audience. Um, and we tr so we didn't really say to ourselves, oh, let's build personal bots. We kind of tried it. Uh, it was kind of on the roadmap for a long time. And we just thought, you know, why not just try it since we're trying a bunch of different things. And we tried it inside Luca app and we saw that people are, you know, coming back and being incredibly engaged and sending um, over a thousand messages per day per person. Um, uh, sorry, the in, in the most like in the most active um, in the top kind of users sending over a thousand messages per day, and we thought you know this engage this kind of this level of engagement we haven't seen. So I think we should definitely go in this direction. So it wasn't hard to talk anyone into that. They, they everyone saw that you know this is actually something that people are resonating with. talk more about how somebody gets started with replica like w w you have some test users if i want to train a bot to be like me do i give the bot access to all my text messages all my facebook stuff how exactly does it work very uh, so very simple you just basically go on replica.ai um and you book um and you book um um a name for your replica and then you can also apply to be a tester for our um, FAQ section and basically just on the website. And you, we will add you to the test flight and you'll be one of the few selected users that are basically trying it right now. And very soon we're going to be opening it up for, for more people. The idea is very simple. You just basically we give you a bot, you talk to it, it learns to become you. So you can build yourself um, some sort of like a, you know, something that we built for Roman, we can build it for yourself. Um, and you can, this way you can raise, you know, some sort of a friend for yourself, a companion, your little baby AI. Yeah. Which sounds awesome. Is there a way to import text messages or stuff from external data feed? Or did you not want to do that because you felt like it would be a bad, potentially a bad amount of seed data and would be hard to overcome with subsequent interactions? Uh, great question. We actually started with like an idea that, you know, if you want to upload all your text messages, you're welcome. Um, and then what we saw, what we saw is that, you know, actually by building, experimenting by building a couple of bots for people based on their text messages is that, you know, people actually do not want their bots to talk like this. Um, <laughs> they do not like it. They're like, oh, I'm too snarky here. Oh, I didn't expect it to be like this. Cause you know, they add everything and, um, it's just some, it's, um, out of their control. So, and sometimes there's data that they don't want to share in any way. So we thought, you know, let them build the bots as they want it. Um, and, you know, if you want your bot to be deep and very thoughtful and talk about yourself in this and that way, then, then be it. If you want it to be snarky, you, you, you'll have the possibility to build it um, in this way. Um, but we're going to give you the way to control to control what you're getting in the end because otherwise people would be unhappy with what they see um, you know and and another thing is that actually we want your bot to be like more 
you know, have opinions about life and love and everything. And um, right now, if you take your text messages, you're going to find that most of them are logistics, you know, meet me there, meet me here, but you're not necessarily talking about important things in your, um, in your mess, like ma- messenger conversations or whatever, like messaging um, with friends. Now, I think this area is going to be really big uh, and it's your your project replica it sounds awesome and i'm actually i think i'm going to try it out later today um yeah so one thing i'm thinking about is is how uh what's the state of the art with like the apis uh for doing stuff for building bots these so like for example i think i sometimes think it would be cool if i had a bot where like i've done almost 400 podcast episodes these these interviews with uh, people about technical topics and i think it would be really cool if i could put all these through uh like a speech to text and then create a bot out of it and and then have a conversational bot where you can talk to the bot about uh you know software engineering topics because i've done all these shows about like you know subtle engineering topics and it would be cool if you could talk to a bot and be like hey bot you know how do i make a distributed system that does this thing and um how how complicated would that be is there any service that does that out of the box these days or is it still very much like a uh put together your own you have to you have to wire together all the different small components so in terms of uh, voice, actually, because we're not doing voice at all, right? Like, it's not our... Of course, um, yeah. We're mostly doing the Dalek system. So um, in terms of voice, there's an interesting company called DeepGram that was at Y Combinator, uh, I guess, a year after us. And it's a good friend of mine, Noah, um, two brilliant physicists actually building it. And they built a neural network that allows you to search by voice. Um, so you can search your voice memos or anything else or podcasts or anything like that. Um so that's probably would be the best way to actually search your podcast and and get some data out of it um, and get the, the you know get the right uh, place where you're talking about the, this or that topic. It's very interesting because they're not transcribing anything; they're basically just searching by sound. Uh, they train. Yeah, it's incredibly. It's a very cool product. I th- pro- very cool project. Um, so I think that you know this is probably the way to do it. In terms of APIs, uh, it's, it's, it's very, very premature. I guess everyone ran in this, this direction this last year, trying to build bots and, you know, building bots that were not, were not necessarily, you know, very valuable to or solving problems that were important for the users. Um, but, you know, it was like a big deal this year, right? Everyone was, was out there. Uh, right now, I think there's a lot of like, a lot of things, things cooled down. Um, I don't think even the big players really know what's the first major um, application in BOSS going to be. And, you know, we don't know either. And we're experimenting and trying. And I think the big guys are also in the experimentation phase. Uh, but what's great is that everyone understands that, you know, we're going to get there at some point. At some point, obviously, conversation is going to be a very important interface. And uh, we're going to do a lot of things to it. Yeah, well, in terms of those those building blocks like I, it definitely feels like we are on the cusp of getting there like google's image recognition apis almost you know, it's pretty good like nlp is pretty good voice recognition is pretty good none of it is great and cheap like there's a lot of it that's pretty good uh you know some of it is like great and expensive um but it's it feels like when you, if there's 
in the near future, the cost is going to get really low and the quality is going to get really high. And then you're going to start seeing the dorm room hackers figure out, okay, what are the things that actually need to be built? For sure. Uh, I think one of the major problems and like that needs to be solved is that, you know, how, do, how are we going to build those dialogues? Right now, using rule-based system systems, you get a lot of precision, but you're, but you get like tons of areas that you're not going to cover. Um, and the problem is that the conversation is this incredibly fluid, absolutely open way of inputting things. And so people can ask anything and how are you going to, you know, uh, predict what they're going to say so that the tail will be incredibly long. And in some of the niche, uh, some of the areas, you know, it's too long and it's hard to cover. Um, and so we're going to have to start thinking how we're going to build those conversational models, uh, without sticking just to rules. And I feel like neural conversational models are the way to go. Uh, but they're very hard. There's so many, you know, so many, it's incredibly complicated. Um, no one has ever showed like a state of the art, uh, bought part by a neural conversational model that actually works and like more than 70% of the time works well. Or, you know, it's, it's a way to, it's, it's, it's still a long, a long road. Uh, I, hopefully this progress is going to go exponential, grow exponentially right now and, um, we're going to get there faster, but we're definitely want to be, uh, you know, continue being staying on the cutting edge there. Yeah, I completely agree with what you just said um, because uh, I've been doing some interviews about bots with people, including yourself, of course. But um, and I feel like the most the most widely adopted uh, and highly useful and um, kind of unique bot <clears throat> that I've interviewed somebody about is this this uh, parking ticket bot that I'm sure you've seen called Do Not Pay, where it's basically a very rigid decision tree. It's not like a deep learning, like figures out how, <laughs> figures out how to respond from learning. It's it's very much a, a rigid decision tree that is uh, uh, that mirrors how the law around parking tickets works, and and I just look at that and I'm like, okay, well that's that's kind of the the bot that has been most widely adopted and has been uh, really helping people out today and it kind of is a reflection of where the tech is at right now. There's, you know, like we're not there with super flexible, um, you know, delegation or, uh, or, you know, high, you know, multi-stage, uh, multi-interaction, like chaining together, um, some kind of complex request to make of a bot. We're kind of at the stage where the, the things that we can do really well are rigid decision trees. <laughs> I think that that is absolutely true. How, uh, but I would just say that, you know, there are a lot of products that look like bots right now and like use conversation interface, but do not necessarily need a conversational interface. Um, cause th th they haven't, they have a conversational interface, but they're not conversations. That's what I'm trying to say. <laughs> and I guess it's hard for me to explain what a conversation is, but, um, I don't have like a very good answer right now, but I think we all can tell a difference between like an, AVR system, like an automatic system that you get when you're calling, for example, like an airline customer support, um, and a conversation we're having right now with you, for example. They're, those are very different, um, two very, very different things, right? And so we're trying to, we're, we decided to focus on, so that's why we're not saying the word bot that much, because I feel like a bot can be anything. A bot can be just something that pushes you notifications to your messenger feed. And that's also called a bot nowadays, or a bot can be 
even something that's powered by humans. That's, that's what we saw last year. A bunch of those, um, that keep calling themselves AI, but, you know, actually powered by humans very interestingly. Um, I guess we try to, um, very precisely say what we're doing. And for me, I'm, um, I keep saying we're trying to automate conversations people love and conversations people love, uh, is m- something that's more complex than, uh, a conversation interface to one feature or like, you know, um, a bot that doesn't necessarily explain, uh, what it is. So, so, um, to close off, uh, <clears throat> your friend Roman had a desire to see the singularity and I take any opportunity to have a conversation with, uh, somebody who will take a discussion of the singularity somewhat seriously. Um, how did how did Roman envision the singularity, and how do you see it? And you know, what do you think is the road to quote the singularity? Yeah, that's very um, that's a fun question. Well, uh, he he really loved the the movie Interstellar, and he really loved everything that could that would ever that would be in any way related to the future. Um, so that's why actually I'm sure that he would have loved something we did for him. Uh, but he always kept saying, and, you know, after he went to see Interstellar, he kept saying that, you know, I figured out, um, everything about the world. Basically, there are three, uh, things that can travel uh, through dimensions, through any dimensions, which are gravity, time, and love. And he, you know, we always talked about it that, you know, um, uh, he always wanted to, to get to the singularity. He always wanted to, he always kept saying, like, Jenny, you know, at some point, you know, they're going to figure it out. Singularity is going to happen. We're going to live forever. And his last project was about death, right? About replicating, uh, about, um, replacing cemeteries with memorial forests and digital avatars that would store memories, um, and digital estate. But, but I, I kept thinking about like, you know, how do we get to security? I think, um, the only way to get there is, um, you know, by doing things we actually love and trying to let our love actually push us there. I think, uh, the most interesting things happen. Um, out of love. I think this is the only way for humans to actually get there. It's a very non-technological, obviously, um, you know, hypothesis and obviously, um, experts in AI are going to probably tell you something else. But my view on, my view on the world is that, you know, we should start thinking more about, uh, what it means to be human, human being. And we need to look more into this and let our feeling, you know, let ourselves feel all those feelings and, if we understand better ourselves, I think this will get us closer to to the future. Well, I think that's actually a very sensible perspective. Um, it's not an, I, I mean, maybe you could, you frame it as an unscientific answer. I think it's perfectly scientific because, I mean, if you look at some of the tech that seems to be on the horizon, even though we may not be there yet in terms of implementation, uh, it looks like stuff that will get us to something that people would classify as the singularity. And the only way that those individual pieces of tech, like NLP or voice recognition or you know better neural net processing, stuff like that, the only way we get there is that people who are really interested in it and passionate about it and, quote, love it, uh, keep hammering on these things until we make incremental process in all of them at the same time and and we have compounding effects it's you know I, I, it, to me it that's a, that's just a valid explanation as something more scientific 
gives us a lot of hope, right? <laughs> yes, it does. Okay, Eugenia. Well, thanks for coming to the show. Um, and I'm going to check out Replica. I uh, really enjoyed talking to you. Thank you so much, Jeffrey. I enjoyed talking to you as well. well